So uh, this morning, if you would uh, turn once again to John chapter 6. This morning, we're going to uh, finish up uh, the last uh, verses, considering um, verses 60 through 71. And I know you might be thinking, gosh, last week you did 40 verses, so that took us 45 minutes. This week you're doing 11. We'll be gone and we need to find something to do. No, uh, not the case. But what we'll do is we'll begin with prayer uh, for God to give us guidance and grace by the Holy Spirit. Then we will read the passage and then we'll dive deeper into this text as we go. Let us first pray. Uh, Father, we thank you for the Lord Jesus Christ, his atoning death for us who believe. We continue in thanksgiving uh, week in and week out and daily for your holy word, which is our perfect guide to faith and to practice. We further thank you, Lord, for your gracious Holy Spirit, which illuminates these scriptures to us to give us understanding by grace. We ask this morning for your continued grace. Uh, that you would give us ears to hear what the Spirit wants to speak to Jesus' church this morning. And it is in His name we pray. Amen. Amen. I titled the, the, uh, the passage or the, the sermon this morning, Are You In or Are You Out? Uh, it's a dividing line. Uh, I would dare say that when I was preaching through the book of Acts, uh, I had a theme there for about four weeks of you're either all in or you're not in at all. And that's kind of the, the, the bottom line with, with the Lord. You're either in and you're totally in or you're really not in at all. And so a lot of what we're going to look at this morning, I hope, will cause us to do some self-examination where we will ask ourselves some questions. Is it me? Uh, I know Joe probably remembers at one point a few years ago we took the elders through, um, I took them through a book and there's, this book has what do elders, what are they, Who, what kind of people are they, and then the last half of the book is what do elders do. And at the end of each section when it, asks, when it shows you what you should be, it asks you the question, is this you? And then when you get down to the end, if you go, nah, it's not me, well, then, you know, you've got a, a decision to make. You've got to do some self-examination. And so I'm hoping that this morning um, this text will uh, lead us to do some internal examination. So let us read uh, chapter 6, uh, verses 60 through 71. When many of his disciples heard it, they said, this is a hard saying. Who can listen to it? But Jesus, knowing in himself that his disciples were grumbling about this, said to them, Do you take offense at this? Then what if you were to see the Son of Man ascending to where he was before? It is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life. But there are some of you who do not believe. For Jesus knew from the beginning who those were who did not believe and who it was who would betray him. And he said, This is why I told you that no one can come to me unless it is granted him by the Father. After this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. So Jesus said to the twelve, Do you want to go away as well? 
Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of life, and we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. Jesus answered them, Did I not choose you, the twelve? And yet one of you is a devil. He spoke of Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, for he, one of the twelve, was going to betray him. This is the word of God. Last week, as we opened, I opened with a quote from Stephen Lawson, and I think it is appropriate to restate that quote this morning, because the, the message that we hear this morning, last week we saw the two audiences. We saw a crowd that was gathered and their response to what Jesus had to say. And then we saw the leadership of, of the Jews and how they responded to what he had to say, those two people groups. But this morning, we're, we're more looking at the, the same message from Jesus, but how it's responded to in what we would determine is the circle, right? As the disciples, those who had been following him, those who had been sitting under his teaching and their response. And so I think it's appropriate to, to say what Stephen Lawson said uh, in this context. The word of God is not difficult to understand, but it is often hard to hear and it's even harder to swallow. And that is what we will see here in these uh, disciples this morning. This morning, I'm going to pose some questions to us for us to think about it. And this is, who is it that can hear the hard truth, believe the hard truth, and live according to the hard truth? Who is it that is in, all in, for the kingdom of God? And who is it that is out? And then finally, are we doing self-examination along the way to see whether or not we be in the faith at all? So before I dive into our text this morning, for context's sake, I'm going to back up and, and, and show us the problem that these disciples are having with Jesus' words. I want to back up and reread the hard truth that the disciples of Christ in this passage are having to reconcile themselves with and the hard truth that each of us must wrestle with this morning. So let's look at chapter 6, verses 55 through 57. That will give us some context here. For my flesh is true food, and my blood is true drink. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me and I in him. As the living Father sent me, I live because of the Father. So whoever feeds on me, he will also live because of me. So Jesus makes a very bold statement here that we will back up when I, I'll pull some more text into this context. But Jesus here says basically this, there is no life in you. You are perishing. You are facing sure and final judgment unless you feed upon me, unless you feed upon my flesh, and unless you drink of my blood. So let us now look at verse 60, and we will see the disciples' response to this hard truth of Jesus' statement here. When many of his disciples heard it, they said, this is a hard saying, who can listen to it? Who is it that can hear the truth? believe the truth, and live according to the truth. And in this passage, we see that many cannot. Some can. And I think that causes us to ask this question. Why can some, and why not others? Why are some in, and some are out? Another good question for us this morning is, which one are you? 
Which one am I? As I examined this text this week, I kept asking, is it me? Am I really in the faith? Do I believe what I say I believe? I think we ought to do that quite often. Are you examining daily whether you have the ears to hear what the Spirit speaks? Do you have ears to hear the hard truth? Are you examining every day? Do I have the stomach to swallow such hard truths? And then, what qualifies us to hear the truth? How does one gain an appetite for the difficult-to-swallow truth? You know, gaining an appetite for the Word of God, uh, that's a thing that must be worked in us by God, isn't it? I've heard people say, you know, well, church is, is boring. We just read from an old book. Uh, the guy gets up there and just preaches about this old Jesus, and he's just this old book, this old thing. It's old-fashioned. It's old this. It, it's, it's irrelevant to me. It's boring. Well, I like what R.C. Sproul said about that, about boring. Anyone who has seen a glimpse of the glory of God will not find the Word of God at all boring. Right? One who has truly seen the glory of God and experienced the glory of God in their life will never see church as boring. It is never boring to them to come and worship and glorify God. Who's in? Who's out? And how will we uh, garner this appetite for difficult-to-swallow truths? And is this ability reserved only for the spiritually elite? Or is this gift for someone else? Or for all? Who can listen? Who has ears to hear? For some of the disciples, this truth as they understood it in their humanity was really tough because they saw it uh, like this, that Jesus was suggesting something like cannibalism. That if you eat, you have to eat of my flesh and you have to drink of my blood. Somehow, the Catholics have become okay with that. Uh, they have become okay in their own minds and hearts that they are actually eating the flesh of Jesus when they go to the table. They're actually drinking His blood somehow and that, that the... the uh, Father, or priest, as they call him, right? The priest has somehow supernaturally got some power to bring down the actual body of Jesus into a piece of bread and the actual blood of Jesus to be brought into the drink. And they seem to be okay with it. But these disciples right here, they are not okay with this idea of cannibalism. So this causes them some problem. They're like, who can listen to a suggestion that we eat human flesh and that we drink human blood? Who could listen to that? I don't think any of us would want to hear that. And of course, Jesus does not mean literal eating of flesh and the drinking of his blood. This, of course, that would be a violation of God's law, wouldn't it? If we think about Leviticus 17, 10 through 12, it reads this, If anyone of the house of Israel or of the strangers who sojourn among them eats blood, I will set my face against that person who eats blood and will cut him off from among his people. For the life of the flesh is in the blood, and I have given it to you on the altar to make atonement for your souls. For it is the blood that makes atonement by the life. Therefore I have said to the people of Israel, No person among you shall eat blood, neither shall any stranger who sojourns among you eat blood. See, Jesus really here, when he says you must eat of my flesh and drink of my blood, even in his, in his uh, Jewish mind, he, he thought they ought to get this, that the blood and the flesh is given for your atonement for sin. It is laid upon the altar, right? 
He's saying here, you must feed on my flesh and drink my blood. But he's not talking literally. He's saying you must feed upon that which God has laid on the altar for you for your sin. Right? So he's not contradicting Leviticus at all when he says you must eat my uh, blood and you, you must drink of my flesh or eat my flesh and drink of my blood. He's not contradicting that at all. Because what the law states is this, that a reparation must be made. Atonement must be made. It is required for the forgiveness of cosmic treason against holy God. There's a requirement. And the requirement is blood, flesh and blood death. The wages of sin is death. A life must be given. The flesh of the life is in the blood and God requires it for sin to make an atonement. The law further states that the life that is given, the blood that is required, must not be tainted in and of itself. The flesh cannot be tainted. The blood cannot be tainted. The flesh that you must be nourished for by atonement is in Jesus, is what he's saying. The sinless blood you must drink into your life is Jesus. You must eat of him and drink of him to have life. Now, let's look at 61 through 62 and see that Jesus knows their natural affections and appetites. But Jesus, knowing in himself that, that the disciples were grumbling about this, said to them, Do you take offense at this? Then what if you see the Son of Man ascending to where he was before? See, knowing the natural affections, knowing the appetites of the human hearts, Jesus asked, Do you take offense at this? Will you believe when God raises the Son of Man from the dead, or will you take offense to that too? Will that offend you? Or will it offend you? And will you remain hardened? And will you remain in unbelief? See, in chapter 5, verse 26, Jesus says, For as the Father has life in Himself, so He has granted the Son also to have life in Himself. You see, Jesus here is saying, Are you offended that I say you must eat my flesh and drink my blood? Because only the Father has life in Himself, and only the Son has been given the flesh, in the flesh, a sinless life. Only the Son, and in the Son, is there untainted blood. The Son possesses life in Himself, in His flesh, and in His blood is the atonement for sin that satisfies the justice of God. Does it offend you to say that you have no life in you? That's the accusation here. If you must eat of Jesus' flesh and you must drink of His blood, Jesus is saying, you have no life in you. You have no life in you. You're dead. You are dead in your trespasses and sins and you have no life in you. Only the Son has life in and of Himself. Only that life could be laid down for our sin. It is the only blood that is untainted, the only flesh that was untainted, pure and perfect, that would satisfy the justice of God. Does it offend you that I say you have no life in you? Who can hear this? There is no natural man, not a natural person, not a natural woman, who can hear the hard truth, who can believe the hard truth, and live according to the hard truth. No natural person, not one, no, not one. Romans taught us, and we talked about that last week, no one is righteous, no, not one. Not even one. No one seeks for God. No, not one. There is no natural person who can hear the hard truth, believe the hard truth, and live according to the hard truth. Something must happen. 
Let's look at verse 63. And I want to look at the back section of this, or the middle here. The flesh is no help at all. The flesh is no help at all. This is what he's saying, right? You have no life in you. Your flesh is no help at all. You have no life in you. And so he says in verse 63, it is the spirit who gives life. It is the spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. In John 3, 3, remember that Jesus told Nicodemus, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. The Apostle John writes in chapter 1, verse 12 and 13, But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Since you're dead in your trespasses, and you're dead in your sins, you have no life in you. The flesh of your own body is no help at all. Unless you be born of the Spirit, been given an appetite of, for the flesh of Jesus, the debt that you owe is, unless you do that, you cannot hear. Unless that's been done to you, you cannot hear. Let us turn to First uh, Corinthians uh, chapter 2. I want to look at chapter 2, verses 10 through 16. Verse 10. These things God has revealed to us through the Spirit. For the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. For who knows a person's thoughts except the spirit of that person which is in him? So also no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. Now we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given us by God. And we impart this in words not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the Spirit, interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him, and he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. The spiritual person judges all things, but is himself to be judged by no one. For who has understood the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. Who can hear? Who can hear? To those to whom it has been given. It's a gift to be able to hear the hard truths of God, to be transformed by them, to live according to them, to have a hunger and a thirst for them. Who can hear? Those to whom it has been given to the Father, who would feast on the body broken for our sin. Who can hear? Those to whom the Spirit has given a thirst for the life-giving blood of Christ. You see, brothers, it's like Alistair Begg says, and I can't do his accent, but it makes it more credible, I think, uh, when you can. It's Christ in you, brothers and sisters. It's Christ in you, lad. That's how he says it. But it's Christ in you, brothers and sisters. It is he and she who has Christ in them. It is those who feed on the flesh that gives atonement and drinks of the blood that gives them life. It is us who can say, and believe and live the truth that is revealed to us in Galatians 2.20. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. 
It is a gift that is given to us. As we look back to our text in, in verse 63 through 65, Jesus says, The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life, but there are some of you who do not believe. For Jesus knew from the beginning who those were who did not believe and who it was who would betray him. And he said, and he said, this is why I told you that no one can come to the Father and uh, come unless it is granted to him by the Father. See, who can hear this? See, there's, there's a dividing line, isn't there? It's a big dividing line here. Some people used to say this. God said it. I believe it. So be it. Well, that puts the emphasis on the wrong person. It actually should be said like this. God said it. So be it. I believe it. Because whether I believe it or not, that's the truth. Whether I like it or not, that's the truth. But when we say, well, God said it, I believe it, so be it. We're saying, well, we must participate with him in order for the truth to be the truth. God said it, so be it. That's why we say amen, isn't it? Saying the same thing. It's saying, so be it. We read the word of God and we say amen at the end of it. So be it. It is what it is. It says what it says. And we are called into account because of what it says. And we just need to do what it says. And we need help, right? Because Jesus just told us the flesh is no help at all. We need help. That's why I love that. That song was appropriate for this, this morning. Lord, I need you. My one defense, my righteousness is Jesus. He's my defense. He's my righteousness. It's not mine. The flesh is no help at all. I need him. Lord, I need you. This is the dividing line. Those who will receive the life-sustaining nourishment of Jesus' blood at the cross and his atoning death for their sin as it has been granted to them by Father God to come to Christ and they've been empowered by the Holy Spirit to have a hunger and a thirst for things they didn't had no appetite for before. And Jesus here, do you take offense at this? Do you take offense at this? I, was at, I, was, I posed this question in our sermon discussion questions this week. What scriptures, and this is just for you to contemplate, after this Sunday. Contemplate this. What scriptures come to your mind that you say, man, I don't like that. I don't like that. I don't like what it says. That scripture confronts me. I don't like it. I'd like to think of God in a different way than what that text seems to say to me. There are, I think there are many, many scriptures that we could probably come up with that confront us in that way. I don't like it. We'll see. Everyone deserves the justice of God, right? Everyone deserves the justice of God. Is there any of you in here who deserve the mercy of God? None. Every one of us deserves the justice of God. That sometimes can be a very hard thing to hear and a hard thing to swallow, a hard thing to taste. Because we kind of like to make excuses for ourselves, right? I deserve justice, but this guy doesn't because he's obviously worse than me, right? He deserves justice, but I ought to get mercy because I'm a little bit nicer of a guy than that guy. Or I'm not quite as bad as this. Well, no one deserves mercy. The late R.C. Sproul said this, God does not always act with justice. 
It's a tough saying. Sometimes he acts with mercy. Mercy is not justice, but it is also not injustice. Injustice violates righteousness. Mercy manifests kindness and grace and does no violence to righteousness. We may see non-justice in God, which is mercy, but we never see injustice in God. Do you take offense at this? How about this? Here's a passage that used to cause me great offense. Romans 9, verses 19 through 23, reads this. And here's the answer, here's the response before you get to the hard stuff, but we'll get to the hard stuff. You will say to me then, uh, why does he still find fault? For who can resist his will? But who are you, O man, to answer back to God? Will what is molded say to its molder, Why have you made me this way? Has the potter no right over the clay to make out of the same lump one vessel for honorable use and another for dishonorable use? What if God, desiring to show his wrath and to make his power known, has endured with much patience vessels of wrath prepared for destruction in order to make known the riches of his glory for vessels of mercy which he has prepared beforehand for glory? It's a tough passage if you really think about it. Because when you hear this text, he says he has appointed some people for destruction. Some are appointed to destruction and some are appointed to mercy. And there is no injustice upon God to do that because everyone deserves justice. Everyone deserves the justice of God and no one deserves mercy. Right? This is why you can sing, you who have been transformed by the Holy Spirit of God, this is why you can sing Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. Right? That's grace, brothers and sisters, because you deserve justice, but you got mercy. Praise God. Praise God that you got mercy and not justice. But this is a hard thing, a hard, a hard pill to swallow. Because I don't know who they are who are appointed beforehand for destruction. But God uses even those He appointed beforehand for destruction to show the riches of His innumerable grace to us. And then Paul begins in this section, well, why then? This, he, he anticipates the response of the human heart, right? He anticipates the response of those who would have a hard time swallowing this truth. Who can resist His will? our take, right? Who can resist the will of God? Why have you made me like this? It's your fault. It's God's fault if I'm like I am. And he says, has the potter no right to, to over the clay to make out of the same lump one vessel for honorable use and another for dishonorable use? Who are you, O oh man, to answer back to God is what he's saying. Who are you to answer back? You deserve justice. But I say, praise God for us this morning that, you, that there is mercy. There is mercy at the cross of Jesus Christ. All of the justice that you and I deserve was poured out on Jesus Christ in our stead. All the justice that we deserve was poured out on Him. If you want to see justice and mercy side by side, go back to the cross. You see, the justice of God for sin. Because He wouldn't be righteous and He wouldn't be God if He didn't judge it. If He didn't exact the penalty and payment that He says is owed for it. 
He would be no God at all if He didn't exact the justice that sin is owed. But right there at the cross, in the same moment, we see the justice, the wrath of God. We see His love, His mercy, and His grace for those He has chosen to give mercy to. You see, if He's given mercy to you and He's given mercy to me, there's not one of us in here who can brag and boast about that, can we? Not one of us can boast about our faith in Jesus Christ. We can boast in Jesus. We can boast in Jesus for sure. But we can't boast in anything because God did it all. And He did it all through His Son. When the sovereign God, sovereign will of God pushes up against your sense of fairness, and that happens often to us, I think, I think the sovereign will of God sometimes pushes against our human idea of what fairness is. It's just not fair. Do you take offense? I would say, who is wrong in this scenario? You or God? Who is wrong when you take offense to the sovereign will of God pushing up against your sense of fairness? Who's wrong? You or God? I've heard many, many times from many brothers and sisters blaming God because He's just not fair. Yeah, He's not fair. He loved you so much that He sent His Son to die for you. He's unfair. It's unfair. It's unfair that He sent His Son to die for your sin and not your neighbor's. That's unfair. It's not right. It isn't fair. It's not fair. If God was fair, you'd join your neighbor in hell. If He was fair, he would, you would join them. Do you still take offense at the fairness of God, at what seems to be unfair? Do you have ears to hear what the Spirit is speaking this morning? So after this, verse 66, many of the disciples turned back and no longer walked with Him. So Jesus said to the twelve, do you want to go away as well? Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of life, and we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. Think about this, right? So now we've drawn the circle has gotten closer, hasn't it? We had disciples just kind of unnamed and the whole group. And now we've narrowed down to the 12. And as we narrow down to the 12, we see some are in, but one is out. Not all who call themselves disciples are disciples. Not even of the 12. Definitely not of the many. But definitely not all of the 12. You see, these disciples, there are disciples, then, and this is what this means in one sense. Disciples, meaning those who follow Jesus, they recognize Jesus as an authoritative teacher. They have joined the group. But such a disciple is not necessarily a Christian. When he's joined the group, comes to worship every Sunday, they might not necessarily be a Christian. They might think that some of the words of Christ seem pretty pleasant to them. Some of the trappings of religion are pretty comfortable. And they would call themselves a disciple of Jesus, but they're not. There are disciples, and then there are disciples. There are those who call themselves disciples of their own choosing and the strength of the will and of their flesh. They are disciples. But then there are disciples whom Jesus calls, whom by Jesus' flesh and blood calls 
And he calls them in a saving way. There are disciples who have and are continuing to trust in Jesus, who have an allegiance to him, who feast upon his body broken for their sin, who drink the cup of blessing in the life-sustaining blood of Jesus Christ. Disciples who have been given to Christ by the Father's drawing them. Drawn by the Father, born again of the Spirit. Only those who continue in his word, Jesus is later going to say, there's also another dividing line, and this is coming in chapter 8, that not only must you be born again, not only must you be drawn by the Father, but you must continue in the faith to be truly a disciple of Jesus. Those who continue in His Word are truly disciples of Christ. If you're not continuing in His Word and you're not born of the Spirit, you never were. If you walk away, you never were. Jesus will elaborate on this in, in chapter 8, verses 31 and 32, but it says this, So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed Him, If you abide in My Word, you are truly My disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. So who is it that can hear? To those whom it has been given. To those to whom it has been given that, that confess that Jesus is life. Those who have been given an understanding that the Word of God is the authority over life and godliness. Those who continue abiding in Christ and are surrendered to His Word. You know, seven times in the letters uh, to the churches in Revelation, Jesus lays down the dividing line distinguishing who's in and who's out. And it's a simple phrase. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit speaks to the church. Jesus says it over and over, and He says it to every church. Who's in and who's out? He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit speaks to the church. Do you have an ear? Can you listen to this? Can you listen to the hard truths? Do you have an ear to hear what the Spirit speaks to the church? That's a dividing line. And you know how I know that I know that I know beyond the shadow of a doubt that I know? Is that one day I could read the Word of God and it didn't mean anything to me and I couldn't, I couldn't get it. I couldn't hear it. I couldn't fathom it. I couldn't swallow it. I couldn't stand it. And then, I don't know, one day I couldn't. The next day I could. And the next day I said, as I'm sitting in the garage of my grandmother's house reading this passage in John chapter 3, where men love darkness, I went, ha, huh, that's the truth. And that's exactly what I said out loud to my own self. That's the truth. And then I went, well, if God's Word can tell me the truth about me, and it seemed to me that everybody I knew that was the truth about them, then maybe what this book says is the truth about God Himself. And I said, I believe this is the truth. Well, the day before I didn't. I can't brag about that. The day before I didn't believe it. That day I did, and I still do. That's how I know that it is the Spirit who divides. It is the Spirit who makes us, gives us ears to hear, gives us an appetite for the righteousness of God. Let's look at verse 70 and 71. Jesus answered them, Did I not choose you, the twelve, and yet one of you is the devil? 
He spoke of Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, for he, one of the twelve, was going to betray them. Jesus chose the twelve. Eleven were chosen as vessels of mercy to manifest the glory of God. One was chosen as a vessel prepared ahead of time for destruction to display the glorious riches in Christ for those upon whom God has divinely and sovereignly given mercy. See, the big question that is asked by the disciples, but uh, is not asked here. There, there's a big question that is not asked here, but they're going to ask it later. They're going to ask this question later. And the big question that should be asked, I think, when you think about this, am I a disciple? Am I in? Am I out? Do I have ears to hear? When Jesus says, I chose you, the twelve, and yet one of you is of the devil. The natural response, I think, in the human heart ought to be this. Is it me? Is it me? We ought to ask that question. Is it me? In Matthew 26, 20 through 22, Mark 14, 17 through 19, we're not going to look all these up. Luke 21, uh, 22, 21 through 23 all have this response when Jesus reveals who it is, is about to reveal who it is at the Last Supper. When it was evening, he was reclining at table with the twelve, and as they were eating, he said, Truly I say to you, one of you will betray me. And they were very sorrowful, and began to say to him, one after the other, Is it I, Lord? Is it I, Lord? I've called... Twelve of you, haven't I? Before, earlier in the passage, there was the many who come, and he says, I've, the words I've given you are words of life, yet some of you don't believe. Some of you won't believe. And when we think about the gathering in, in, in any church at any time, there are tares growing up among wheat wherever we are. There are some who believe and there are some who don't. There are some who are in and there are some who are out. There are some who have been given ears to hear what the Spirit would speak to them and there are some who don't. I think the question we ought to say is, is it I? Is it I? Some quote-unquote Christians are actually just unconverted men and women who participate in the things of the kingdom, but they've not feasted upon Christ for eternal life. They've not been given ears to hear, nor can they stomach the sovereign will of God. Some are among a group of Christians who gather, who are pretenders, who grow up among the wheat, and they're actually weeds chosen by God to be burned up and discarded. It's a hard truth. When the words of Christ are hard to hear, when they push up against our sense of fairness, we should take heed to examine ourselves. Take heed to examine ourselves when we hear the hard word, when we hear the hard truth. Sometimes when I used to hear the harder things in the truth, I'm like, I don't like it. That's not true. It can't be good. And I, I need to put it away. I read several books written on, on this sort of topic years ago. And when I got to that idea of the depravity of man, and it pointed at me, I put the book down and I said, I don't want to read that. I don't want to know that that can't be true. 
because I think I'm a pretty swell guy. But over the years, as I've come to read and understand the Scriptures, and, and as the Lord Himself has revealed Himself to me, I'm like, yeah. I, I can say like Paul, Oh, wretched man that I am, who will save me from this body of death? I thank God through Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. Is it I? Is it me who is a pretender? The Scriptures encourage us not to take the grace of God in vain and not to think more highly of ourselves than we ought. That we ought to work our salvation out with fear and trembling, right? 2 Corinthians 13.5 says this, Examine yourself to see whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. Or do you not realize this about yourselves, that Jesus Christ is in you? <coughs> Unless you indeed fail to meet the test. Do you not realize that Christ is in you? If right now you're having doubts about whether Christ is in you, you may have failed the test. Examine yourself to see whether or not you be in the faith. And 2 Peter 1, 3 through 11. I'm going to read a whole bunch of this text because it's, it's so good. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of Him who called us to His own glory and excellence, by which He has granted to us His precious and very great promises, so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. For this reason... Make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue and virtue with knowledge and knowledge with self-control and self-control with steadfastness and steadfastness with godliness and godliness with brotherly affection and brotherly affection with love. For if these qualities are yours and they are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he is blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election. For if you practice these qualities, you will, you will never fall. For in this way, there will be richly provided for you an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Is it I, Lord? Do I have ears to hear? Am I a true disciple? Am I feeding upon Christ's atoning death? Am I nourished in the blood of Christ? See, every Lord's Day when we gather, we do. We take a moment for self-examination. There's a moment when we go to the table, when Joe calls us to the table. <coughs> that is a moment for self-examination, to examine whether you be in the faith, to examine your sin-filled week, to eat and feast once again on the body broken for you. To drink of the blood of Jesus, the cup of blessing that gives us life. Every Lord's Day we're called to this self-examination. We come to this Lord's table ascribing its worth only when we examine ourselves. Listen to the instructions in 1 Corinthians 11, uh, 27 through 32. Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and the blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then, so eat the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. That is why many of you are weak and ill and some have died. But if we judged ourselves truly, we would not be judged. But when we are judged by the Lord, we are disciplined, so that we may not be condemned along with the world." Self-examination is often not 
uh, a thing that we uh, like very much, is it? Because self-examination reveals the truth, and sometimes even the truth that we, is revealed to us about us is as hard to swallow as it is sometimes the truth of God's Word. When we're really confronted in the mirror, and you stand there, and you look, and you realize this is who I am, sometimes that's a hard pill to swallow. If you're here this morning, and the words of Christ have now cut you to the heart, know this. You're being given some ears. The Lord is now speaking to you. The proof of whether you have ears is do you respond? Is He, is he cut you to the heart through the bone and the marrow as the Word of God has penetrated you? Do you respond? Do you have ears to hear? If you have been given ears to hear, come to Christ and feast on His body broken for your sin. Receive Him. The Father is drawing you. Take nourishment today from His life-giving blood. God has had mercy on you. If that's you, confess Jesus as Lord to someone here this morning. Just confess it out loud. Believe it in your heart and say, I confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. If you do that this morning, He has given you ears to hear. For us who are in Jesus, who have been given ears to hear, I would ask you, can we all say in unison, Jesus Christ is Lord? Jesus Christ is Lord. Because He's given you ears to hear, to believe the Word of God, right? Praise be to God. Amazing grace, right? That saved a wretch like you, saved a wretch like me. Do you have ears to hear? Do you take offense? Are you in the faith? Is Christ in you? I would just like you to think about all those things this week. Have you ingested His death and resurrection? Think about that. When your life is not your own, you've ingested His death and resurrection. You've taken it personally and own it. You have fed upon Christ. You drank of His blood, right? Your life is not your own. And we have to go back again and again and again. And I think as Joe always said, you know, do this in remembrance of me. That is why we come to the table, right? To remember his body broken, to feast on him once again. Let us take um, now just a moment of silence to have God's word have its effect in us. Father, we do thank you for your word. Thank you that you have given us ears to hear what the Spirit would speak to us. We need continual grace this week, Lord, though. We, we are dependent from this point forward this morning because we cannot do your word unless you enable us by your grace. We can do all things through the strength of Jesus Christ in us, Lord. So we just ask that you have your way in us this week, that you enable us, that you empower us by grace. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let us now let God's word have the last word from Romans 16, verses 25 through 27. Now to him who is able to establish you in accordance with my gospel, the message I proclaim about Jesus Christ, in keeping with the revelation of the mystery hidden for long ages past, but now revealed and made known through the prophetic writings by the command of the eternal God, so that all the Gentiles might come to obedience that comes from faith. To the only wise God be glory 
forever through Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. So be it.